Welcome to the Antioch Austin podcast. Wherever you're listening from, we hope this message encourages you. For more information about Antioch Austin, please check our website at AntiochATX.com. Now here's Pastor J.D. Griffin. Well, what up, church? How are we feeling this morning? Come on, man. I'm so excited to be here with you. Um, I, I just want to reiterate one of the announcements because it's so huge to me personally. World Mandate. Uh, if you have not ever been to World Mandate, you cannot miss this. It is going to be a life-changing time. Uh, I know World Mandate has always been a moment where God marks something in my heart that carries me into the next thing that he has for me. And we want that for each and every one of you. Not only is it a conference where we worship God and change the world, it really is the Antioch family reunion. We're going to be joining in with Antiochs all over the country, uh, and we want you to be a part of it, all right? We only have limited amount of seats, okay? They're filling up. That's not a joke. It's not hype, and we want you to come. I've been meeting with pastors uh, all throughout the city, and they're excited about bringing their congregation, so we're expecting a full house. So if you're considering it, thinking about it, pondering it, Go ahead and register for it, okay? If you're unable to come for whatever crazy reason, you can give your ticket away, and I promise you somebody will be blessed, okay? But we really want every single one of you to be there, to be a part of it, uh, because it is going to be a marking time. And that Sunday, February 3rd, we're having two services here at Lanier, okay? We're having a 9 a.m. and an 11 a.m. here, and the reason is is because we're having the North Campus and the South Campus under the same roof, all right, and it's going to be an absolute blast, and uh, uh, that will kind of be our send-out service for the South Campus, which is, which is officially, as Moses said, launching on February 10th, and we want you to be a part of that. We don't just want you to hear about it. We want you to be a part of it, and, and so if you want to jump in with us in any capacity, please email hello at AntiochATX.com because we want to make serving and getting involved here as easy as possible. Cool? All right. Uh, well, last week we started a series of talks that we're calling Build the House. Build the House. And, and what we're leaning into here at the beginning of the year is really believing uh, that we're entering into a season of building, uh, that God wants to build a beautiful house here in Austin called Antioch to th- that will display his glory on the earth, to be a beacon of hope in this city. And we not just want to dream into that, but we want to also know the language we're using to build it. Because language builds the house. Are you with me? What we say will define what we create. So it's important that we're all on the same page. Not just about the things that we are hoping for, but that we are actually talking about the things that we're hoping for in the same way. Because language builds The house. And that being said, we started this series last week with a very complicated sermon title called Jesus. Because Jesus is the only thing. Jesus is our message, who he is, who he really is. And what that means for our life, our city, and the world is our message. That's what we're about. That's what we dream for. That's what we're building on. Jesus is our message. Message And this week, we want to lean into that a little bit more and and read a passage of Scripture that's going to be our anchor point today, which is Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5, if you have a Bible, I want you to make your way there. If you don't, don't stress. It'll be on the screens. For my Bible readers in the house, you might know that Acts 5 contains a story that's not encouraging. 
Two people, Ananias and Sapphira, fall dead in their tracks, lie and die. So our passage this morning is real light and real just chipper and easy. You know what I'm saying? We're just going to have just a really wonderful time, a bunch of roses and daisies, all right? Acts chapter 5, I really believe that God has something rich for us in this truth. So let's just read it together. Now a man named Ananias together with his wife Sapphira also had a piece of property. And with his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself. Can I just highlight that part? He kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. And Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and kept for yourself some of the money you received from this land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. And when Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And then great fear, as that makes me scared. So I understand the great fear that seized all who heard what had happened. And then some young man came forward, wrapped up his body, carried him off and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for this land? She said, that's the price. Peter said, how could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door and they're going to carry you out also. And at that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young man came in. Can you imagine these dudes, the day that these guys are having? The young guys come back in. They find her dead. They carry her out and bury her beside her husband. And we can all agree that great fear seized the whole church, okay? Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. Now, this morning, I want to talk to us on the topic of the deception of self-preservation. Can I say that one more time? The deception of self-preservation. Let's just pray together, God. I'm asking that your word that is alive and well, living and active and sharper than a double-edged sword would come and penetrate our hearts. God, that you would get me out of the way and the truth of who you are would be heard today and what's on your heart for us as a community would be what we leave with. We love you, Jesus. And everybody shouted. You know, around October, I got asked to do a wedding. And nothing freaks me out more than performing weddings. I was asked recently how many weddings I've done. I'm like, I honestly don't even know. I've done so many of them, but it doesn't matter. The number does not take away the nerves. And here's why. When you do a wedding, you want to be forgettable. The only reason you remember the officiant is when they screw up. I I want to be so, like, forgettable that at the reception, people don't even know I was in it. They don't even know I was a part of it because there's this terror that I have of saying the wrong name. Do you, Bob, and his name is Jeff, you know, or saying something accidentally inappropriate and everybody's like hypersensitized about talking about sex at weddings and then you lose everybody. So I'm absolutely terrified. There's also a lot of things that have to happen at weddings, things that need to be said, things that an order of service, lots of people are waiting for you to say certain specific words. And so it just gets in my head, man. I don't 
want to screw up. I've heard stories of my friends screwing up, just like absolutely horrific, saying the wrong thing, the wrong name, skipping parts of the... I don't want to do that. I, I want to do what I'm supposed to do, nothing more, nothing less. Now, I don't just get nervous about performing the wedding. I get terrified about even just being involved in the wedding. I don't want to be late. I don't want to go to the wrong place. I don't want to be the person that the mom is mad at. Lord, help me. Brides, mothers, I don't want to be on her bad side. I want to be on her good side. I want to be seen as the hero. I do not want to be seen as the guy who made everything complicated. And so I plan for this. I plan for it. I think about it. I, I'm like, all right, look, if the, re- if the rehearsal starts at 6, I'm going to get there at 530. I don't want to be late. I don't want people waiting on me. I want them to be like, hey, where's J.D.? Oh, he's sitting in the back. He's been sitting there. Hey, come on up. I come up. I do my little thing. Hey, how you doing? It's good to see you. Take my little notes, and then I am out of there, right? I, I do not want to screw anything up. I don't want to be a hindrance. I don't want to be a burden. And so I'm meeting about this wedding that I'm doing in October, and we do all of the planning and all the preparation, and they give me the, the times that I need to be places and, like, go here and, and, and make sure that you're at this spot. And I'm like, cool, 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 get it all planned out. And they say, here's the location, and they text me a pen. Now, it's, a, it's on a ranch in the middle of nowhere in Lampasas, Texas. Okay, now I'm thinking I got a pen. I'm good. I test the pen. Pen works. It shows me it's about an hour and 35 minutes from my house. So I plan. I'm going to leave two hours and 35 minutes ahead so I can get there and be super early because it's the country and you never know what's going to happen. So I make this whole plan of like, this is how I'm going to go and this is where I'm going to go. I check the map like three or four times. right? I'm just checking, 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 checking. And, and then I take off. Now, I'm just going to be honest with you. I'm heading to the rehearsal. I'm so stoked to be alone. I have four children. So anytime that I can justifiably be by myself in silence, I consider that a blessing. And so I'm driving no music, no nothing, just in the power and the beauty of just silence. I'm enjoying this drive, man. I get out in the country. There's nothing around me but just like grass, cows, and cedar trees. You know, I'm just like enjoying being alone. I'm loving it. And according to my map, I'm heading exactly where I need to go. It tells me what time that I'm going to arrive at where it's taking me. Everything is working out beautifully. And then I get the notification. It is time to turn left in 500 feet. So I keep driving. I start looking. I'm like, oh, there is a road 500 feet. Now, it looks a little bit different than what I was anticipating for this big fancy ranch that a wedding's going to be performed at because it's just like an unmarked dirt path. So I turn off onto this unmarked dirt path. I'm driving down this road, and it starts to tell me, your destination is on your left. I'm looking to the left. I'm like, there's nothing on my left except grass. Now the road gets so rough, and there are so many cows that have just made their home on this prairie, that I'm fearing that my little car is going to get stuck in the manure on the road. We're not talking about a few cow patties. We're talking about landmine after landmine after landmine after landmine where it looks like the road is muddy, but it's just crap. Now, I start thinking to myself, how in the world is a wedding going to be here tomorrow? Like, what do you do with all this crap? You're going to bring a dozer in and like, clear the road? Like, what's happening here, right? And so after driving about a mile down this dirt path that's covered in crap, I call my buddy. I'm like, dude, what am I supposed to be looking for? Like, can you give me some sort of landmark or something like that? And he's like, well, didn't you see the massive gate when you turned in? I'm like, I saw no gate. I know, I I saw no such gate. And And I'm like, all I saw was dirt and turds, bro. Be honest with you. And he's like, I think you're in the wrong spot. 
Now I'm like, well, this is the pen that I was given. He's like, well, let me, let me shoot you the pen of where I am. You know how you can like share your location? How many of you thankful for technology when it works for you? How many of you hate it when it works against you? I'll let your boy. All right. So I, I'm like, send me a pen of where you are right now. Send me a pen. 45 minutes away from where I am is where he is. Now, I ended up arriving there about on time. So now I'm in the wrong place at the right time, 45 minutes away from where I'm supposed to be, right then. I am humiliated, embarrassed, absolutely torn up. Like, how did this happen? Oh, my gosh. I am the guy. You know, like, so I walk in. They're, like, doing the rehearsal without me. Everybody claps when I walk in. I'm like, no, dang it. Don't be memorable. You know what I mean? Like, be forgettable. And I'm the guy that shows up an hour late to the rehearsal. No one else seemed to have problem getting there. Just me. You know what's interesting is that the pen took me exactly where it was marked to take me. It, it wasn't that I ended up in the wrong place. It was that what I had marked as my destination was not really where I wanted to be. And I just want to say that when your pen is marked to save your life, when your pen is marked to preserve your life, to protect yourself, to guard yourself, to keep things for yourself, if that's your pen, then for a season, it might feel like everything is going good, that you're heading in the right direction, that everything is going okay, but where you end up is not where you really want to be. Because it's the deception of self-preservation. It's a deception to think that I can preserve myself and get all that God has for me to get out of this life. It's the deception of self-preservation. And last week we opened this series with a passage of Scripture in Matthew 16 where Peter and the disciples were asked a question by Jesus and the question was, who do you say that I am? Jesus is asking the disciples, who do you think that I am? We talked last week about the importance of that question, that that might be the most important question posed to humanity. Who is Jesus really? And not just who is he, who is, who is he to you? Now, on the back end of that question, Peter chimes in and says, you're the son of the living God. We talked about how that revelation was a foundational revelation that Jesus looked at Peter and said, you're the rock. And on that, I'm going to build my church. On that revelation, I'm going to, on that foundation, I'm going to build something that's going to last forever. And it's going to come with keys, and those keys are going to allow you to shift the atmosphere of wherever you find yourself, because the authority of knowing who I really am links you to the authority that I have over all things. And right after that, in verse 22, it says this, from that time, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders and the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed on the third day and raised to life. Verse 22, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. You want to pull Jesus aside? Can you imagine this? 
This is Jesus. He just declared to Jesus, look, you are the son of the living God. Jesus is like, I'm going to build my church, man. Nothing to hell is going to come against it. You're going to be able to bind things on, on earth. They're going to be bound in heaven, man. There's nothing to be a fruitfulness. And then, and then Jesus says, and it's because of this, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to suffer. I'm going to be killed. And I'm going to, ra- I'm going to come back to life after three days. And Peter's like, come here, Jesus. I'm not going to let that happen to you. What? Peter rebukes Jesus. This is why I love Peter, because, you know, honestly, I can relate to him. I can relate to being stupid and saying stupid things. Getting caught up in the moment, heat of the moment, just a response. He didn't, I have to be honest, but I don't think Peter was thinking. I think he was just feeling right here. You know what I'm saying? If Peter was thinking, he would have remembered, oh, yeah, there, we're talking about something that is outside of the natural experience. But he wasn't thinking. He was just feeling. Do I have any other just like non-thinker, feeler, communicators in the house? Okay. If you are one of them, you get in a lot of fights with your spouse. I feel you. I'm with you. There's hope for us. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. And then Jesus turned and said to Peter, the one who he had just called the rock. And he says, get behind me, Satan. Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. Isn't that interesting? Jesus? has a stumbling block? You're a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny himself, take up their cross and follow me. Verse 25 is huge. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. This is Jesus attacking the deception of self-preservation. Verse 26. For what good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? What can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with angels. And then he will reward each person according to what he has done. I can't think of a better moment in scripture that reveals the human need to self-protect. Peter probably had a number of reasons why he wanted to protect Jesus, but one of them is, is that Peter is a fallen, broken human. And that means that he does not drift towards sacrifice, he drifts towards easy. That's why when Jesus said, I'm going to go and suffer, Peter's response was, no, you're not going to do that. We don't do suffering, dude. We do blessing. We do good. We do easy. We do rocks and foundations and binding and loosing. We don't do sacrifice and dying and losing our life. We don't do that. And Jesus' response was, you're a stumbling block to me. Jesus was fully God and fully man. He he was absolutely God. And he was absolutely a man, meaning that he was tempted the way that we're tempted, that his flesh is drawn to what we're drawn to, yet he did not sin. Hebrews 4, 15 says it this way, for we do not have a high priest, speaking of Jesus, who's unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who's been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet did not sin. 
This explains why his response was so harsh to Peter, because Peter was touching on what he felt. That's why I said, get behind me, Satan. This is not, I'm not going to believe the lie of self-preservation. I'm not going to be deceived in this concept, in this human reality, that to save myself is to find myself. And so he says, this is a stumbling block for me. You think it was a stumbling block for Jesus, how much more is it for us? The human condition is to protect, self-protect, self-preserve, to give less, not to give more. To hoard, not to be generous. To keep some, to hold back, just like Ananias and Sapphira, to hold back some and then just give a little bit. The, the picture of what God is giving us in Acts 5 of what happened to Ananias and Sapphira really is the spiritual reality of what happens in our souls when we hold back some of what God has given us to give. Partial surrender leads to a dead heart. Partial surrender leads to a dead heart. Ananias and Sapphira held back money for themselves. This was not about money. This is not at all about money. It's not like they needed the cash. No, no, no. God was getting at the deception of self-preservation. What it was, was it was this lie that had seeded in them that you see, you remember it says that how, how have you allowed Satan to deceive you? It's the same stumbling block that Jesus resisted that they grabbed hold of. And Jesus is like, no, 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 no. If you want to find your life, you got to lose your life. But if you want to save your life, you're going to lose it. The deception of self-preservation. What happened to Ananias and Sapphira in the physical is a picture of what happens in our heart when we buy the lie that God is not going to meet our needs. That God is not a generous God, but a stingy God. That God has not given you what you need, but you have to fight for what you have. You see, this is an attack on the character of God. When we believe that God is not our provider, that we have to provide for ourselves, we begin to slide into the subtle but destructive deception of self-preservation. Because we begin to think that it is on us to move things forward and not on God. That's why God dealt so harshly with them in the birth of the early church, because he wanted to make a statement that if we allow the cancer of self-preservation to settle into our camp, we will never become the church that he had in mind that he declared over Peter in Matthew 16. The deception of self-preservation will lead us down a path of feeling stuck inside, feeling like we can't make it anymore, feeling like we don't have anything to give. Isn't it funny that we sometimes are tempted to pull back in the season that we need to give the most? In moments when we feel overwhelmed, absolutely at the end of ourselves, the truth is, is that we can never outgive God. So 
Even when we serve out of a place of need, Proverbs 11.25 says this, a generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. Are you hearing what I'm saying? When we commit to refresh those around us, the biblical commitment is that our hearts will be refreshed. When we give, the biblical promise is that we will receive what we need. A generous person has what they need. I remember one time I was, I was meeting with this, this young African leader. He was in town visiting uh, the school that I was attending and got to be in a meeting with him. And, and he was talking about cross-culture connections and, and how uh, things we need to keep in mind as we are Americans going into third world countries. It was a really cool little talk. And he said something that changed my life in that thing. He said, do never, never deny someone the opportunity to serve you or bless you. It might be hard for you to receive because you see how little they have. And then he said this sentence that marked me forever. He says, I've never seen anyone go broke being generous. Man, that's the same principle for our heart, not just our finances. I've never seen someone get absolutely burnt up, smashed up, and lost when they're living a generous life, when they're looking to refresh others, but when their heart is to be a generous person who's, who's looking to give and to refresh because that whole concept fights against the deception of self-preservation, which will be a stumbling block for all of us. This is why that we say often around here that there is nothing better than you can do than to serve. We want you on a serve team, not because we need you, because we actually don't need you. We want you. We live from a place of understanding that we have more than enough to do all that God's called us to do. Therefore, I don't need to stand up here and say I need anything because I actually believe Philippians 4.19, which says that God will meet all of our needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. Therefore, with confidence, I can say we have all that we need, but I want your heart to become all that's created to be. I don't want you to lie and die in the place of self-preservation. I want you to live in the place of giving your life away. I, I want you to come alive in all that God has created you to be. And I've found that sometimes in my greatest places of need, I just need to serve somebody. I need to, to give to somebody. I need to make myself available to somebody. I don't need to hoard stuff and dive in more. No, no, no. I need to serve. Look, the world has even caught on to this concept. You can go to a secular counselor that will deny the existence of God, and they will tell you if you are stuck in a loop, you need to go serve somebody. Because we were created to be those who refresh others and then in turn get refreshed. If you feel stuck, maybe you just need to serve somebody. You feel like you're stuck in a loop in an addiction, serve somebody. Serve your way to freedom. Don't try to get cleaned up and then give. Serve your way to freedom. That's why we, we give so many opportunities to, to serve here at this house. And, and we use this phrase, can you believe we get to do this? 
Can you believe we get to do this? Can you believe we get to serve? Can you believe we get to like lay down our lives for, for those around us that we get to create an atmosphere and an environment for people to encounter God? Can you believe that? Can you believe that we get to create like the greatest kid stuff in America when kids come here? They have so much fun and have so much deep encounter with God that it shapes the trajectory of their life forever. Can you believe we get to do this? You know why we say that? You know why we're so adamant about it? Because it is a declaration of faith in light of a deception of self-preservation. We declare the truth in light of the human condition to self-protect. We have to keep it in front of us because we don't drift to generosity. We don't drift to serving. We drift to self-preservation. We drift to self-protection. And that's why we say, can you believe we get to do this? And then we follow it up with, my, you know what? Serving is our privilege. Serving is our privilege. I mean, we don't have to do this. We get to do this. It's a privilege, man. Serving is our privilege. We can't be all that we're called to be without you. You know, when God had this church in mind, he had you in mind. I love to think about that. When God was birthing this dream of this church, he had you in mind, being who you're called to be, serving and giving what you have to be the completion of the picture of who he's called us to be in this city. So, so that means that when one of us self-protects and that heart begins to die, it has a corporate effect. That's why in our flesh, we don't want to give. Because if the devil can get us to isolate, to shut down, to cut off, then we become ineffective in the vision and the dreams that he has for us as a community. Man, I, I get so excited about thinking about a church coming alive and all that God has called them to be, dreams birthing and exploding and people serving with this attitude, not just serving here, but serving our city with the attitude of like, can you believe we get to do this? I mean, what a privilege. What a privilege. What a privilege that we get to build church. What a privilege that we get to represent Jesus. What a privilege. Can you believe we get to do this? We will attack the temptation to self-protect with a declaration that it is better to give than to receive. And I just want to make a statement for all of us who feel a little weary and worn down and tired, maybe 2018, try to take your legs out from under you, and you're just happy to be here right now, and you're hearing this deal about you, you're going to, if you try to save your life, you're going to lose it, and you lose your life, you're going to find it, and all this stuff, and you're kind of like, I'm just tired. Matthew 11, Jesus declares something to you. He says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I'm going to give you rest. He says, take my yoke upon you, learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your soul, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. But do not confuse rest with preservation. Don't confuse rest with preservation. Isn't it interesting that Jesus says, come to me and find rest, and then he gives you a yoke. You know what a yoke is used for? To do work. Isn't that interesting? Come to me and find rest. And here's a yoke. Carry this around. But you know what? I learned something actually after, our, after the nine o'clock service. A lady came up to me. She says, you know what's more interesting than anything about yokes is that an oxen is so powerful 
by themselves. They can do so much work. But when you yoke two oxen together, they can do four times the work. Not two times. The, the power that they create yoked together can move four times the weight that one oxen can move by. Church, can I just tell you that when we put on the yoke that is easy and light, we begin to move and do work with Jesus. And he's carrying the weight. We're able to do four times what we could do before, not less, more. The, the yoke is easy and the burden is light. And we're like, how in the world am I moving four times the weight that I was moving by myself, but I feel easier. I feel more alive. I feel like my heart's because those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. If you want to find your life, you need to lose your life in me and you're going to find it. Jesus is everything. He's everything. And, and we want to give you an opportunity to join in to seeing his name be glorified and worshiped in this city unlike anything that's ever ha happened before in the history of Austin. Look, we believe that God wants to birth a church that is going to change the city. We're, we're not just saying that to be hype. We believe it. We believe that God wants to birth a city, church that's going to change the city. And that's going to happen when it's filled with people that are going, can you believe we get to do this? Can you believe we get to serve this city? Can you believe we get to serve this church? Can you believe we get to give all of what we have, not holding something back, but giving all of what we have because we will fight the deception of self-preservation with a thankful, excited, expectant heart. Can you believe we get to do this? You know, I love having practical responses. And what I want us to do is just take a minute the band's going to keep doing what they're doing. And I want you right now to just take a minute and say, God, what do you want me to do? Not some of us ask that question because it's for all of us. God, what do you want me to do? What team do you want me to jump on? Where, where do you want me to serve? Maybe you're already on a serve team. Ask again, God, what else do you want me to do? How else can I be a part of what's going on? How, how else can I have this attitude of serving as a privilege? Can you believe I get to do this? And then I want you to act on it this week. I want you to email hello at atx.com and say, I'm in. I want you to go to the Connect Corner and fill out a serve card and say, I'm here to serve. Just, I don't even care. I'll check all the boxes, man. I'll do kids. I'll do AV. I'll do whatever, man. I, I just want to serve. Can you believe? I can't. I can't believe it. I can't believe I get to do this. Because if we want to become all that God's created us to be, it's going to take all of us giving all that we have. If we want to see this church become all that it's created to be, it's going to take all of us giving all that we have. Not giving some of what we have, all that we have. So let's just take a minute. God, speak to us. God, I just ask that you would come and just begin to speak clear words of response for every single person here that they would know what you're calling them to, God. And I pray for those who are weary and those who are tired, God, that when they come to you, that they would find rest and that rest would come with some movement, some, some, some excitement about risking and moving and serving and giving again. So Jesus, speak to us right now in Jesus' name.